You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today we're talking about how to understand the different culture types in your team so you're more effective in improving productivity, which everybody is after. Not only that, but how do you keep your best people and how do you know who you need to hire to build the most effective teams? Best hiring managers I've ever met, barely bat above 500. So to help us tackle the topic, we have with us Dr. Rachel Headley, CEO of Rose Group International and author of IX Leadership, Create High Five Cultures and Guide Transformation. Rachel, thank you for taking the time to be on the show. Oh man, thanks for having me, Chad. It's great to be here. So we always like to start with a kind of oddball question. And this kind of cycle, we're, we're focused on what are your passions outside of work that those individuals who know you mostly in a work environment might be surprised to learn about? Well, I'm a singer. I'm a choral singer, actually. So I love singing. It's uh, it's definitely my passion. It has zero. To, I don't have to do anything related to work. <laughs> I can go. And it's my drug of choice, really. I get like literally dopamine highs off of singing and, and being a part of that organization. And it's just really a thrill. And that's what I do. I protect that. T- if I'm in town, which is about half the time, I protect that rehearsal and concert time more than any other thing. So that's what I do. Well, and that, I mean, that's critical, right? Especially today with as fast and as much as everybody's working, you really have to box off and, and protect those passions. Yeah, you really do. And for me, the only thing I really do in the evening, I've got a 10 year old. And so she comes first. And so I really don't, there's, you know, evenings are a time that you could actually do a lot more work and, passions, but I really try to focus on my family. So that one, that one thing, that singing is the thing that I do outside of of the house on the, on, on weekdays. So. Perfect. All right. So let's, let's start with, so from singing, <laughs> how you found <laughs> in the organizational optimization and transformation area, it's a mouthful, but curious how you found yourself. I mean, after looking at your background and I won't give it away, I'll let, I'll let you spill it for people. It's an interesting, seems like a very interesting story. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, we all have interesting stories these days. It's kind of awesome that we don't have to have the same thing, our whole same job our whole life. But my story is kind of interesting in the sense of I, I've kind of woven around uh, my career and started out as a scientist, earth scientist. So I have a PhD in geography and I spent some time looking at the earth. I spent some time in the United Nations environmental program, helping them understand and interpret what the satellites were telling us about how we handled and and interacted with the earth, all kinds of cool projects. But for me that, you know, science is really, you kind of have to be a specialist in the same thing for your whole life. And that's just, I found out later that that wasn't really my gig. So (laughs) I liked too much. I like problem solving. I like thinking on my feet, like a lot of your listeners, they're just up for, new stuff all the time. And so what ended up happening for me is I, I went over and worked on the operational side of the satellite. The satellite that I was using is called Landsat. I was using that data to look at the earth and study it. And then I was invited to become the operational science officer of the mission where we had two satellites on orbit, satellite in uh, development. Awesome, fun, but it's a big dang organization. And <laughs> that's when I started really noticing 
what te- some teams thrived and some teams were miserable. What was the secret about that optimization of those organizations that made a difference? What choices were the leaders making? What did they know about people just gut feel or what did they have in their background? And I can't, I couldn't do the engineer's job. I was the only scientist on the team of 175 engineers. So I really had to figure out how to support them while I couldn't do their work. I didn't really understand the day-to-day work they had. So that was really kind of how I got into it and got really nerdy about actually getting things done. Well, it's all right. So that transitions nicely to the concept of a, of a, and I'll actually do the air quotes. I know nobody can see me, but I'm doing it with my fingers. <laughs> the, the high five culture. It's like, help, yeah. help me understand high five culture. Well, it's just what you think it is, man. Yeah. <laughs> people you know, walking around giving high fives. Yeah. It's a place where you want to walk into the door and you see people that you want to work with. You're proud of, you got their back. They've got your back. You're proud of the work you do. You feel valued by them. You know, you want to give people high fives because you're, you're rocking, you're kicking ass. And everybody's on the same what, team. We're on the same page. And yeah, you know, you're rocking, all kicking together. ass and we got this done. That's right. You're all pulling together. It's, um, you know, you have, you know, and there's a whole bunch of stuff kind of embedded in that, right? Because that means you got to understand what your target is. You got to have goal development. You got to understand your role. And you know, there's a lot behind it. But at the end of the day, it's, it's back to music analogies. If you think about the soundtrack of a movie, you know, is your organization like Star Wars, you know, like a John Williams <laughs> score? Or is it like, you know, a Wagner opera where you just want to like hang yourself? Right. right. So well, and anybody who's listened to either of those would know exactly what kind of tone and mood they set. Right. Exactly. You want to be like, are you the Darth Vader music or yeah. you know, are you the, are you the rebel Alliance music? Right. Like <laughs> you know it when you feel it. And that's one of the really hard things about working in, you know, we call it leadership. Uh, we call it organizational efficiency, organizational excellence, but really it's about that feeling. And that is really hard to wrap your head around sometimes. And it's often, I would think as the only scientist on a team of 175 engineers, you know, the stereotype is you don't see a lot of engineers typically walking around high-fiving. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in your cliche. Like I've got my own. And, and your cliche. But, We're but all stereotypes. It, <laughs> We're all stereotypes. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and so you think about it. I mean, that had to be an amazing place to incubate some of these ideas and then to kind of test them out. Cause I would think some of the engineers would probably be more game for testing and evolving than some people who maybe weren't as so much in that same stereotype. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing is a lot of the engineers that that you and I know and love are what we call stabilizers, which means they like stable environments. They like being a part of a team. They really don't like to stand out. Like they don't like to be separated out. So they really understand their role in the team. They're the best at what they do, but they know that they're embedded in the team. And so on one hand, you're right in the sense of, you know, they're not the most gregarious usually, right? you know, they're not going to run around and, and, and be cheerleaders, but they do love their role in a team. And so the, the reason that I got really nerdy about this stuff is we had to give up $5 million in revenue because we went from a four uh, for a cost model where we charged for data to uh, a no cost model where we gave the data away. Cause we had millions in appropriations every year and we saw kind of the writing on the wall that the federal government, the politicians were going to ask us to, to start giving our data away for free. And, you know, the engineers were not about this 
I mean, we, it meant a total re-architect of the system. We only delivered 25,000 images a year. And after we went free, we were delivering 25,000 images in a single day. <sighs> yeah. So it was crazy. It was so crazy. But those guys, man, it's so impressive. They did, went through the change. They went through this crucible of stress and anxiety. And they came out the other side, just the most highest productive team you can imagine. Just uh, the harder the stuff we threw at them, the more they stepped up. And it was really a great lesson to test out some of the, the ideas and understand what they were going through and how to help them and leverage their energy and enthusiasm even more. This is really great. I mean, the number of, the number of images that you guys, right? You, if I remember correctly, isn't it, isn't it Landsat that provides images to Digital Globe? Yeah, it's the base data. So if, even like on your Google Maps or your map app on your phone, yep. if you zoom out to say like the whole city that you live in or maybe the, the region around your city, it kind of blurs out. You can kind of see farmland and forests and that's Landsat. That's a, it's a global mission been flying since 1972. And so it's been you know, up for 45 years, it's starting to be used for climate change, you know, yeah, signals in the bet, landscape. Yeah, I would bet. All kinds of stuff. Yeah. So it's basically the base model for any kind of regional or global analysis. It's really the base. Yeah. And nobody, and I would bet that there are probably a bunch of listeners that had no idea that that touched so many aspects of their lives. I can tell you in, in looking for a house, I constantly go to the satellite images to check topology. Because yep. I'm, I'm looking for, I'm looking in the mountains, but I'm looking very specific. There's very specific things I'm looking for that you don't get from the two dimensional. So I want to see the satellite images and understand uh, some of that. Now, granted, maybe that says more about me than, than people that use it. <laughs> That's very insightful. <laughs> maybe I'm a little. Tells me a lot about what you, who you are, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a paradox. <laughs> yeah, wrapped in a in a biker who happens to sell. But uh, enough about me. So when when, uh, when we look at you know when when that team went through that, there are certain types of personalities that will step into it, that'll do the work, that will rise to yep. the challenge. And there are certain personalities that can't handle, I don't, I don't want to say handle like in a negative. They're just not made for that crucible. And so did you find that as that team went through that, that there was any level of attrition or was there this built in just by the nature of the business and things you guys did, this built in support where those that were more capable in the crucible may have taken more of the brunt of the blast of change, so to speak. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you a secret about getting people through change that don't like change. Oh, please. It's, it's, it's a powerful secret, I'm telling you. So here's the, here's the secret. If you get 30% of your people to move in one direction, in the direction you want them to move, then the people that are digging in their heels will all move together almost at the same time. Really? Yeah. So because a critical what, tipping point. Yeah, absolutely. Because what happens is the people that don't like change don't like change because they don't like it. The chaos, it feels very chaotic to them and stabilizers don't like chaos at all. They like order. They like predictability, they like to understand what the plan is. They don't like, like change for you and I, we like, love it. We dig into it. We're up for it. But those guys really like stability, but you can really use that against them with, with all the love and care of course. in the sense of, if you, so that way, when they're talking to everybody and they're trying to get a sense of who's really on board with this crazy thing that you're doing, if you, if one out of three people tell them, you know what, I think it's a good idea. We're, we're going for it. You know, come along for the journey. 
then they start thinking, I don't want to be left behind. So uh, you can use their need for social stability against them in the sense of they'll want to come with you. So they're not singled out by being left out. So do you get from a leadership standpoint, do you get really strategic in terms of literally saying, okay, if I've got a hundred people, I got to get 33 on board and figuring out who those influence and mobilizers are inside of the crew. Is that kind of part of the approach? Absolutely. We have an assessment that we can, we base and we do it uh, mathematically so we can scatter plot people across our, now our assessment across the quadrant system. And we can tell you exactly who's going to be the ones that are not going to come. Who's going to be the early adopters. Who are the ones that are more logic driven. So even though they don't like change, if they understand, okay, we did this way, it's not working because of this, this is the logic sort of behind it. They're going to generally like it, but they'll come along, you know, so we can actually strategically help you communicate with your entire team based on how much they like chaos, how much they're independent versus team driven. And so we can really make that happen much quicker and much with much less pain if we, if you do it right. And so it sounds like the classification approach is, is a natural evolution of something like, uh, like disc. Are we, it kind are we of beyond that? Yeah. So the trick with those like disc, Myers-Briggs, strength finder, you know, the huge list of things that you can do, they're all very individually interesting, but when you go out and you have, let's say 50 member sales team, how do you use disc with 50 people? Like, Oh, you're Heidi, you're a C in the corner. You're a blow. I like, how do you, you can't really take that into a group as very right. well. Same with Myers Briggs, you know, they got 16 types. Jesus, what, how do you even <laughs> get your head around that? I was right. And so what we set out to do is we actually took the same research. So this gets super nerdy, but we took the same basic research that DISC and Myers-Briggs and all those are built off of, which is Carl Jung in the 1920s started this archetype idea. And we actually, what we did is we sat down, we said, what is missing from today's business environment? And that is the chaos around change is massive and no one really talks about how to deal with it and a team environment, right? We're all in teams, but some people thrive in teams and some people hate being in teams. So that, those were the two aspects that we looked at. And so it's interesting individually and resonates with everybody individually, but the power of the assessment is in looking at the, like scatter plotting your team and understanding where the innate conflicts are going to come and the innate alignments work and that sort of, and how people, if you're a chaos person and you're stuck in the stabilizer job, right. you're going to be really uncomfortable and you're going to be bored, right? You hear that all the time, right? We don't want to be bored. <laughs> and some people are stuck there. I know. I know you, Chad. Uh, yeah. No, hey, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> like, there's, you know, it's funny because my, I can think of two people right off the top of my head that if you were to call them and say, hey, tell me about Chad, both of these executives that I have worked with in the past would simply tell you, ensure he does not get bored. That is the, that is the one thing I'll tell you. Cause the minute I get bored, then chaos happens. Right. I well, just, that's because you create chaos. Oh yeah. Hey, right. I, exactly. I'll own it. I like it in there. Right. Right. And, and we see this, we, I worked with the CEO about a month ago now, and he's been in the same job for 13 years and it is so fascinating. He's a chaos guy. He's a fixer, what we call a fixer, which is team driven. And K loves chaos. So they're kind of that they're always looking for problems to solve. And, and, but the problem with him is, is that he's been in the same job for so long that about every nine months, he comes up with some huge thing to do. 
spin off a new company, totally reorder the organization, you know, all kinds of stuff and change the way we do everything. And so that's what happens when fixers and chaos people are forced to do the same job as they look for and create chaos. And that drives their order people, their order tolerant brethren nuts. Well, and so, so if we think about it more, like if I go a little bit from macro to micro and we think about like sales and marketing organizations, I I mean, I literally, I can see it myself. I'll be the first to admit I've got about a two. And I always joke with, before I started my business, I always joked with employers, look, you got me for about two and a half years, two and a half, three years, then I'm bored and I'm I'm on to something else. But is it, do you see in sales and marketing because sales executives, regardless of what the technology they're selling or what they're selling, that may change. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe the industry they're in changes, but the job in and of itself, especially in sales, is pretty binary, right? It's, it's fill the top of the funnel, find the right people, qualify them in route, engage them, move them through the sales process, close them, rinse and rep- repeat. So do you see as a result of that type of, of consistency of responsibility, different types of individuals excel in sales leadership, say versus those areas that are much more dynamic? And I'll use marketing just because of the MarTech stuff that we're seeing explode today. Do you see different types kind of bubble to the top of each of those two silos? Well, so interesting. Sales has really two kinds of salespeople, right? Because you have the CRM junkies, right? Who they love, right? The tech sales guys who they love entering all their data and they love to, okay, Salesforce tells them they're supposed to call these 10 people and this is the status and it's 80% and all the things, (laughs) Right. right? Some sales people, they thrive in that environment. I mean, they want to get in there. They want the thing to, so they want the system to tell them where they're at, what their status is, what they've got in the pipeline, all that stuff. They just love it. But if there are other salesmen, as you know, who are like the big hand waver relationship people, they don't ever want to sit in front of a computer. They want to be in a room, uh, having a cocktail, having a cup of coffee, building relationships. And so those two people are very different people and they're very different. They thrive in very different environments. So if you take a relationship sales guy and make him enter all of his shit into Salesforce, why do you think Salesforce fails and have the sales team? <laughs> right. Hello. It's yeah. because they're relationship chaos guys. They just, and when I use guys as non-gender specific, right? Sure. They're, they're chaos guys. They don't want to sit in front of a computer and have to enter all the shit in the computer. And so, you know, and the guys that love the Salesforce, they're not as good as going out and going to networking events and cold calling and all the stuff, right? They just tend to want to do the things they're supposed to do on the system. They want to be predictable. And so when we help people hire sales teams, we always find out what kind of role are you hiring for? Right. Is it 10% CRM work or do you expect them to do 80% CRM work? Because that kind of stuff will totally make fail or success inevitable if you hire wrong into those positions. Well, then, so then we get back into the change thing. Do you see organizations that are smaller, maybe they start up and they need a certain type of individual. They need those chaos people that are, you know, living on coffee and endorphins and they're constantly going out shaking hands. <laughs> I'm not saying well, I'm in those guys. I'm just saying I know them. I'm um, not a friend of mine. No judgment. I'm asking uh, for a friend. I'm asking for a friend. It's totally for a friend. <laughs> but those organizations, Need that, and then as they get larger, they get to a certain point where the predictability and the stability required of a sales organization in terms of revenue production 
necessitates the change of the ideal individual and the mixing of the two, that transition adds another element, I would think, to whether or not you're going to end up with a high five culture. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about how many sales people are in a startup and the startup gets to be a certain size and everyone thinks they need a VP of sales and they give that job to their best sales guy. And over time, six months later, that sales guy is walking or he's so annoyed with having to be part of the bureaucracy and the meetings. And he doesn't want any of that. He wants to be a sales guy. And so you've taken a chaos guy and put him into a stabilizer job and it's, he's just not going to be successful there. We want to reward them for that, for being in the trenches and being there early and making the company successful. So we want to give them a VP job. But at the same time, we need a different way to reward those, those high-performing salespeople that don't want to end up in management. Well, and there's, I mean, there's a host of them, right? I mean, I've met, I've met more than my fair share of my career, tried to manage some of them that thought, Hey, I just crushed it. So I should be promoted. And I'm just like, no, you you really don't want this job. You really Mm -hmm. don't trust me. You don't want this job. You're going to hate it. Well, no, give me a chance. Okay. But before you quit in six months, come back to me and let's see if we can get you back in the field. Right. Because sure. That's, that's what's going to happen. Now I th- would assume those types of, those types of changes that create friction points, right? They create friction points in any organization's life cycle for individuals as well as teams, as well as organization as a whole. And so if we're talking about individuals, say stabilizer versus chaos, how do we boil that up as you get into larger organizations so that when you get up to, I don't know, put whatever three letter acronym in front of it you want, SVP, EVP, right. uh, CEO. How do, how do we boil them up so that they can look at an organization holistically making decisions that as they permeate through the organization don't go counter to what we know about what's necessary in the field or, or on the ground? Yeah, that's interesting. It really depends on your vertical. So if you think about we're working with some big manufacturers that are, and in, in, that, in the world that we're working in anyway, consolidation, acquiring, acquisitions, mergers are kind of the way that you grow. Sure. And they're in this big transition phase right now. The, the trade, the, the trade things going on with China is giving them a little pause, but mostly they've been really rolling down this. We're going to, we're going to bolt on a bunch of companies all together. And that is, the executive team's goal is they're always looking at that bottom line. They're looking at growth. They're looking at how do we have a market share, all the things that executives worry about bottom line, shareholders, all that stuff. Right. The problem is manufacturing is a stabilizer industry straight up. If you go into manufacturing and you're going to be a welder the rest of your days, or you're going to be a machinist, you might be the best damn welder in the world, but you're going to weld the rest of your life. And that is a stabilizer job straight up. And so they do not respond well to all of this change happening. They don't respond well. Even you look at their promotion up a couple levels of layers of promotion, they're all still stabilizers. They're stabilizer leaders. They're loved, beloved leadership because they protect their people because they don't like chaos and they protect their people from chaos. But what happens is that executive team that is always looking to grow, always looking to develop, always looking to expand, is running head on into those stabilizer leaders and they fire them. They don't keep them around. The stabilizers rarely walk because they don't like, they don't like chaos, but the executive team, when we walked into this one company, 
they were firing their, you know, sort of mid-level leaders on the regular because they felt like they were roadblocking development and expansion and all the goals that they had. And then when we came in and said, here's the deal, guys, these are just, you guys are chaotic. These guys are not, you just have to talk to them in a different way then you would talk to each other. So Chad and I can go have a beer and we can change, we can solve all the world's problems in a couple hours, right? no problem. Yeah. Uh, but these guys don't respond to that kind of chaos that freaks them out. And so you got to just give them more time. You got to explain a little bit more. You can't just say, trust us. It'll be fine. You got to actually lay out the plan for them. You know, there's a different strategy for communication and we actually saved two, two jobs at this one company because they were on the verge on the cusp of firing these long-term loyal employees because they just could not get them on board and it came to find out they just weren't weren't saying the right things at the right time and it's it was a huge win for everybody in that organization yeah it amazes me i mean regardless you know i, I get i totally get the manufacturing being stabilizer I've, I've done my fair share of work on that side of the fence too but what's interesting to me is it all regardless of vertical what i've seen comes down to communication and and it is how it is not what you say it is how you say it. now i'm two divorces in so i learned it the hard way so, <laughs> so i mean i'm just sharing i'm just sharing but i, I, I mean it. It, it's really it really is more about how you say something than what you say and taking the time i think to really understand the individuals that's sitting across from you or that's on the other end of the phone or other end of the teleconference whatever it is we have a tendency because we chase bottom lines and quarters and, and Wall Street wants fiscal results, or we want the organization to grow from startup to a point where if it's MarTech, it's actually profitable and can go IPO. Um, right. We're so focused on speed that we forget that it's the individuals that actually make it happen. And so it seems like I've run into my fair share of kind of edict deliverers, you will do this or you must leave kind of crap, which I think is oh, yeah. productive at times. Is that something that you're seeing or is that what we're helping them overcome? Yeah. The interesting thing is that the interesting thing about that is that we need each other, right? So you can have a startup and it's all chaos people, but if you have all chaos people, nothing's getting done. Cause let's be honest, Chad, the other thing that we kind of suck at sometimes is actually getting things done. Like we're great at talking. We're great at <laughs> brainstorming. We're great at the sale. We're great at the, inter the relationship. But if we have to sit down and actually do the things like I have someone that does my social media because frankly, <laughs> I'm not that freaking organized, man. Right. Like, I can't get it out on any kind of regular basis. Sometimes I'm on all day. Sometimes I'm not on for two weeks. Yeah. Or you get on and you end up watching cat videos. Yeah, whatever. But I, I like like the little baby giggly videos. Giggly videos makes me happy. But yeah, I mean that's what we end up doing. And so we, you have to have people that can sit down and write twenty thousand lines of code. And that's not us. That's not no, chaos that's people. Not, yeah. Those are order people, man. We need those people. And so the really interesting thing is that we train our leaders in so many ways and sometimes not, but we have the most leadership training ever we've ever had. And we have the most disconnected staff that we've ever had. So we're really missing this key idea around communication. And that is how to say the things that you want to say and how they need to hear them. And actually there is a bit of what also, there is a bit of what you say too, because some people, if you go to a stabilizer and say, listen, if we don't meet we don't meet our goals this month, we're going to have to close shop. We're going to go under. 
that is the anti-motivator for those people. They are yeah. going to curl up in the corner and in the fetal position, self-soothing, like rocking. Right. And they're not going to do anything. Now, the chaos person might step into that and say, all right, well, I'm going to change. I'm going to work 20 hours a day till we make those goals. Stabilizers, no way, man. They're going to be like, nope, it's already done. It's yeah. over. Why do I even? So understanding how people, what they want to hear, how they're motivated. You know, that sounds so over. I'm saying it. And it sounds like I can't know all of this about every one of my employees. Like I can't baby everybody. Right. But that's the magic of, of our assessment is that we have four groups, right? We have four categories and most people fall into one or two in an organization. You rarely have every kind in your organization. And so, so wait, so you got chaos stabilizer. What else we got? Yes. Well, there's four. So chaos is fixers and independence. So chaos is fixers are love team and they're chaotic independence love chaos, but they're just chaotic. They don't, they're really, they don't care if their chaos disrupts everything for everybody. Okay. So there's two chaos categories and there's two order categories. Stabilizer is the team driven order person and organizer is the individually driven, self-driven order. So they're more like they can literally go write 20 lines of code. They're the only, you know, they're the CTO of a startup. There's no one else around them is a tech person. They can work on their own. Gotcha. Whereas the engineers that like to work in a team and like to be embedded in a team, that those are the stabilizer engineers. That makes a hell of a lot more sense to me than disc. Not for anybody right. who's saying that's a disc person. I apologize. We love that makes it. a hell of a lot more. Right. Sense. We don't, we're not insulting. Well, and the nice thing is in an organizational setting, then you can say, oh, I guess I can't, I got to tell you the story right before we got on to record this. My CEO is walking out the door. She's going to work with the team uh, tomorrow morning. So we're getting her out the door with some of her materials. And we were looking at the scatter plot that she's taking off to this team. And, and she just was talking to the CEO that hired us to come in and work with his folks. And there's one guy that needs email training. Here's the air quotes for me, Chad. Email <laughs> training etiquette training around emailing. And we're like, what is the deal? Apparently he ripped off some horrible email to one of their clients and they lost this big client. Mm. Well, we, we, we scatter plotted them out. Well, that guy is an organizer, which means he doesn't understand people. Like he doesn't need people's approval. He's working on his own. Just do your job. Don't get in my way. I'm doing my thing. And that we just laughed out loud. He was the only organizer in the organization. We're like, oh, it's so great when our shit works. Right. Um, because that explains why he's an organizer and the, pre the client he's working with was really chaotic. They said one thing, they did another. He can't stand to work with them. And so he sent off some mean email that he didn't even really process because he doesn't care. He doesn't think right. about that stuff. So we're like, oh man, I love it. It works. It's amazing. So talk to me about the book for a second. Well, where where did the genesis of the book come from? Well, the book is all of this stuff. So we have been doing culture type work for a long time. Our assessment's called culture type assessment. We've been doing that work for a long time. The second part is about change and how each of those culture types works through change and how leaders can strategically get their people through change. And then the third part is just some, you know, basic leadership stuff that we feel like are core, core to what you got to do as a leader. And so we called it a leadership book. It is a leadership book, but really it, it came out of the need. The IX is called internal experience. And the reason we call it that is we're working with a, a big tech firm down in Arizona. 
And they kept saying that they were training, they train, they train because they're worried about their CX or customer experience. That was their focus. They need to improve their CX. And they, they train and they train and they train. But at the same time, we kept hearing they have this huge high turnover rate. And so they get all this turnover, they get people trained and then they leave and then they train more people and then they leave. And so they have this, they have a huge budget around training because they don't keep their people. And it just really occurred to us that that led by one of those light bulb moments that it's like, listen, if you're worried less about your CX and you turn around 180 and you look at your internal experience and you kept your people, then you wouldn't have the CX problem because you'd have people devoted to your organization and they're going to sell for you. They're going to support your customers with gladness. <laughs> and so we just thought you guys are focused on the wrong thing. So many people are focused on CX, 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 but what they're really not doing well is focusing on their own people. And if they gave as much time focused on the internal experience of their people and made it amazing, then the rest takes care of itself. Excellent. How, just out of curiosity, cause I'm always, I always am amazed at people who have the time to, to write the books. <laughs> how, <laughs> how long, how long did it take? Well, here's the secret, Chad, is that people that are busy don't write their own books. Okay. That's what I was wondering. Was it, we you... hired a writer. Okay. And so what, cause we, because we had been working with clients on this stuff for five years, it was really getting it organized. And, and honestly, I wanted people to freaking read it. And I'm an academic, I'm a PhD. So man, I would have written a very different book if it was all up to me. Right. And not because I wanted to, just because that's the only way I know how to write well. And so what the book really is, it's really approachable. It sounds like we're having a conversation. We, she really kept my, my business partner, COO now COO is she was a cowboy. She grew up on a ranch. Their family still brands cattle. And so she's very, you, what you see is what you get. There's no pulling punches. So you can really get a sense of through the book that it's very practical. You know, we don't want to do theoretical leadership training. Like that's, that makes me gross. Like so gross. (laughs) I don't even like calling ourselves a leadership company. We call ourselves, you know, like organ organizational efficiency or something else. Right. Because leadership, there's such a sea of BS in the leadership world and probably in the sales world. Right. Oh yeah. Everyone's got a plan and an approach and all most of it doesn't work. Yeah. Everybody's unique. Everyone's special snowflake. Snowflakes. Yeah. And we're like, so really what we do is we fix problems with people and companies straight up. And we give, we empower the leaders to do it. We're also, we clean up after a lot of the big consultancies that come in and give you a six inch binder and tell you to go away and do these things. And then it's a total disaster. Yeah. Here's a report. It's sitting on a shelf. Right. And then meanwhile, they've reorganized by, competency, which has zero to do with the humans you have in your uh, build. And then half the time the M&As fall apart because the very reason you acquire a company, which is for their human capital, everyone leaves and you're like, what, what do we have left? You know? So it's such a gap in our leadership training and how leaders think about their organizations that it's, uh, and it's really not that hard. Once you get your head around this chaos to order situation, things start really falling into place and it's really a powerful tool. So how about two or three tactics or approaches that leaders listening to this could walk away from this discussion aside from buy the book? I'll just put that one out there. Right. Buy the book. Buy the book. That's your first step. I'm going to give you the give me. I'll give you the give me. But two or three tactics that they could walk away from the podcast with to really start to approach this in a way that's going to be healthy for all involved. 
Well, the very first thing I think you can do is really think about the kind of roles you have in your organization and the kind of people you have filling them. Because when you have challenges with employees and staff, almost all the time, it's all about a mismatch between the role and their work, their preference, their culture type. So really powerful. We have, we deal with so many teams that just end up being dysfunctional kind of by accident because they've got order people and chaos people working together. And then they just kind of by accident argue. And like the <laughs> one, one example is we got a fixer on a team. He hasn't read a report in his life, right? You and I don't read reports. We don't have freaking time to read reports. But an organizer will write you a 35-page report because that's who they are and that's what they need to do. Right. To go off and do something. So what happens is I send you, I am an organizer. I send Chad a report. Chad doesn't read it. doesn't read it at all. He's like, whatever. Just tell me the three <laughs> things I need to know in that damn thing. And so then what I, right? Exactly. Just tell me what I need to know. Well, what's the one graphic I want to look at? But then what happens is I end up burying something on page five of the next report that you need to know, but I know you won't read it, but I want to see if you're going to read it. And then you're like, hey, why didn't, Rachel, why didn't I ever get that information from you? And I'll say, well, it's on page five of that report I sent you a week ago. Yeah, I call that passive aggressive. It is, but only because you're the guy that's, you're the chaos guy. All the chaos people, all the chaos people hate passive aggressive behavior. But it's not really. What it is, is they can't engage with your chaos. They don't understand. So they'll work with everybody else. Wait, Rachel, are you telling this is all about me? It's all (laughs) because... It's, it's actually all not about you. This is yeah. the important piece. Yeah. This is the important piece. It's them. all not about you. It's about them. Because <laughs> what happened, they can't engage in your chaos. And so this is the only way they really know how to do it. So it's, but it's incumbent on both parties here. This is the power of it. So if you know that I'm an organizer and I send you a 50-page report, just come to my desk and say, hey, man, or text me. You know, what's the thing that you really want me to know out of here? Because I value your time and I know you put a lot of energy into this. And I want to respect what you put together here, but I won't have a chance to read it. So what's really a good thing out of here that I need to know as the organizer, knowing you're the chaos guy and won't read it then can say, when I send that 50 page report to you, I can say, Hey Chad, check out page 21. That's the one you're really going to be interested in. Because when you know this about each other, you get a level of respect for how you like to work. And you know that you're not being a jackass to each other, just in a nefarious way, right? You're not being passive aggressive. It's just how you're wired. So it's really about understanding each other on the team and giving each other an opportunity to thrive because you need each other. You need the 50-page paper writer and you need the guy that's going to go make the big deal having cocktails at the networking. (laughs) It takes a village. Yeah, it does. And it takes a village that actually likes each other. (laughs) Okay, I'm with you. Yeah, and so if you don't don't understand how each other works, then these misunderstandings just sort of blow up, you know, and you hope they go away. It's easy to dismiss early on, but I tell you after a year, you're like, I can't even stand to walk in the damn office. Cause I got to walk by Sally's desk or <laughs> Jim's desk. And you walk all the way around the freaking office. So you don't have to walk by Sally's desk. And it's like, this is just not a way to live. I mean, this doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be this way. No, it definitely does not. All right. So let's change direction a little bit. We ask all of our guests two standard questions at the end of each interview. First is simply as a revenue executive yourself, always curious to know how people who don't have a referral, don't, don't have a relationship with you, how they capture your attention, tap into your curiosity and earn the right to have that initial conversation with you. 
You know, you, for me, and I've thought about this question because I've listened to your podcast <laughs> and I know you're going to ask it. For me, it's actually showing up. You know, the LinkedIn messages that I don't, when I don't know you, the cold calls that I don't know you, that doesn't work for me. I want to meet you at a networking event. I want to meet you at a conference and frankly, do a little homework. Like when I have people approach me, and they really want to work with us. A lot of people take what we do and they insert it into their organizational change work or their change management stuff or their leadership training or whatever it is. And, you know, they come up to me and they ask me, you know, what's my favorite leadership book or something? And I'm like, you mean mine? Like what? Like, don't you know I have one? Hello. You know? So it's like, A, do a little work, research if you really want to get in front of me. And, and otherwise I want to meet you. I want to know that you're where I am and you care about what I care about. And maybe it's at the maybe we're both volunteering at the food pantry or maybe it's, we're both at a entrepreneurial networking event. I don't know. But for me, it really, it's getting out there and being, being personable and meeting me in person, which so is hard to do. I know. Well, I mean, it can be hard for some, right? I mean, we've, we're yeah. all kind of crazy, but you just respond better when somebody's, you know, obviously done their homework and you can put a, you know, a face to the name and you get a lot more understanding of an individual when you're looking at them, uh, yeah, and in the same space, sure. right? Rather than just some email that's often crap and not well researched or, or well thought well, out. Chad, you know, honestly, even the best email or the best LinkedIn message, you know, I could have the problem that you're pitching me. But why would I trust? There's so, why would I trust you? Um, there's so much junk out there that like, like, like we talked about leadership and sales training. It's like, there is no way that I know if you're legit or full of it when you, when right. you cold call me or cold email me or cold message me. I just don't. But if I see your eyeballs, even if I think you might be full of it, <laughs> I'm going to give you a shot because right. we're having a conversation and we're connecting and that's important to me. <laughs> I love it. All not right, that last... you're full of it. I'm not saying that. Well, I don't no, know. hey, I mean, I love the challenge. <laughs> it's a challenge. Challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. Uh, um, <laughs> all right, last question. We call it our acceleration insight. There's one thing you could tell sales, marketing, or professional services people. One piece of advice that if they stepped into, you believe would help them hit their targets or crush their quotas or achieve their goals. What would it be and why? the most important thing that you can do with the stuff that we do for a sales professional is understand what kind of person you're working with. If you're selling to a chaos person, a fixer or an independent, they want a solution right damn now. And if you don't give it to them, if you don't get them a proposal, if you don't get them a solution that they can chew on, they're going to be gone. If you're selling to a stabilizer, which is a lot of CFOs, if you're selling to a stabilizer or an organizer, they're going to take six months. You're going to want all the data. They're going to want the schedule. They're going to want to know how you implement it. They're going to want to know when it's going to be available, what the next dot release is, whatever. They're going to drive you crazy with details. And right. so if you can identify those two people or those two, at least the chaos versus order side of it, then you know if you need to have four sales this week before the end of the month, before the end of the quarter, you're not going to go talk to your stabilizer potentials right? You're going to go, you're going to go find your independence, your, your fixer, your fixer leads, because they're going to jump on it faster. You could beg and plead a stabilizer to hurry the hell up, but they're not going to, they're just going to actually, that's going to push them farther down the calendar. So if you can, if you know that you have some long-term lead times with some clients and you know that some are going to come fast, if that's how you're going to hit your goals is by understanding 
those two aspects of your of your potential clients. Perfect. Love it. So if it interest if a person's interested in talking to you, what event are you going to next so they can find you? <laughs> that is great. I love it. <laughs> um, frankly, the best way to find me, I'm I'm active on LinkedIn. We're going, we're always going. There's about five of us that are always running around at giving keynotes and going to conferences and being in front of people. So, and we're always putting where we're at because we're always looking to have coffee or cocktails with somebody. So we're always promoting that. Be, you know, check me out on LinkedIn and find out where I'm going to be. Excellent. I really appreciate the time. This has been a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. I had a great time. All right, everybody, you know the drill. Does it for this episode. Hit b2brevexec.com. Share the episode with friends, families, coworkers. Leave us a review on iTunes. And until next time, we have Value Selling Associates. Wish you nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.